Hello and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. This week we are joined by Freddie Hunt, that surname might ring a bell, son of 1976 Formula One world champion James Hunt. Freddie has raced cars as well but has led a slightly different life compared to the glitz and glamour of his dad and he joined us from his home to have a chat all about it. Thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen. If you like it, please do leave us a review. It really helps us to get bigger. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 24 of the Motormouth podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I need to head over to the English county that gave us Dame Maggie Smith, Dermot O'Leary and Olympic swimmer Mark Foster. Yes, we're dialing in Essex to be joined by my esteemed colleague with the size 16 shoes, Harry Benjamin. How are you? Thank you very much. It's an honour to be amongst such a, a stellar lineup from uh, the county of Essex. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah, finding I'm out some really right, interesting you. facts about Essex. I've, yes, uh, to be fair, Essex has produced some, some good names. It has. Um, yeah, no, I'm fine. Still trying to stay sane in this lockdown world, but uh, keeping busy as ever. But we, we're we're bashing these out week in, week out. So uh, this is keeping me busy enough. Good, good. Well, shall I uh, bring in today's guest? Yeah, let's do it. So today's guest, Freddie Hunt, the son of 1976 Formula One world champion James Hunt. Freddie joins us from lockdown in the leafy English countryside. He's a racing driver and businessman in his own right, competing in championships all over the world, including against the likes of Matthias Lauda, son of his father's great competitor the late Nicky Lauda James a massive welcome to the show how are you I said James Freddie a massive <laughs> welcome to the show <laughs> it's because you look so alike how are you I'm very well thank you very well thanks for having me you're very welcome where are you joining us from today with uh, you've, you've got antlers on the wall behind you it looks like you're in the countryside yeah 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 I am I'm in West Sussex uh, not too far from Goodwood very oh, nice. Lovely. Very yeah. nice. How are you? Uh, how are you managing with this whole strange new world we're all living in at the moment? Well, it's, it's certainly interesting times, but I, I really can't complain. I'm in beautiful countryside in a lovely with a lovely big garden and uh, with woodland all around me. So oh, lovely. People are battling in, in you know flats and towns and cities. So mm. I really can't complain at all. Are you living? Are, are you by yourself? Are you in complete lockdown? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. I mean, well, it's just me, me and my, my dog is here, but my friend lives just down the road, so we meet for dog walks. So it's a little bit of company, you know, social distancing, dog walks, and uh, another friend at the other end of the village. So I do see a few people. That's quite important, I guess. I mean, it's, it's quite tough if you're completely on your own, albeit with a dog. I imagine it, it, it doesn't do uh, great things for your, your mental state. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Exactly. But also, on the, on, on the other hand, you know, a lot of my life was spent at, at home anyway, work, you know, working from home. You know, apart from my, my training and you know, uh, a few shifts, a few shifts in the pub in the evening to keep me occupied. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I heard you. Uh, I was listening to another podcast you did a few weeks ago, and I, I, I heard on there that you, uh, you're a bit of a dab hand in, in the uh, in the kitchen. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how much of a dab hand, but I mean, I, I, I had pub jobs when I was a teenager, going up, you know, for sort of part-time work, and then did some chefing um, in pub kitchens, and then recently I thought I found find myself doing nothing in the evenings yeah um or going out going out to a pub and spending you know 50 quid on dinner and a drink mm. so i thought well instead of going out spending 50 quid when i go out and earn 50 quid and you know and and learn some things as well and it's fun it's good it's good morale in the kitchen in this kitchen is nice actually not the last ones i was in was very stressful but this one was one of my i'm working with one of my best friends and nice. we, have a, we have a good laugh it's an organized kitchen and i'm learning you know improving my cooking so oh wow do you have a, a signature dish that you love to prepare? Um, well, the I spent a lot of time in Argentina, as you know, as well. Now, the Argentine mm. asado, which is their barbecue, I, I think I can nail that pretty good. When I was there, every time I was invited to a barbecue, certainly in the city, uh, even by the Argentine, they would have to deliberately turn up late so i didn't get roped into doing the barbecue <laughs> i'd like to think that's probably my signature if i can if the argies wanted an englishman cooking their barbecue i think i can do it pretty well you could do it yeah <laughs> they're uh, the, the argentinians are good on their steaks aren't they they certainly are they really are mm. um their beef's very good i don't think it's much better than ours but it's their methods of cooking it and the different cups they use yeah. much much slower large chunks of of meat slowly cooked over um <laughs> over wood coals and uh you know plenty of salt and yeah, rather than our 
crappy little rump steaks you fry in a, in a pan. It just just doesn't compare. No. Yeah. I take it you like them rare. No, actually, um, I prefer a juicier cut, a fattier cut. Uh, well done, actually. Or, or oh. a pink. You know, if you're having a fillet, obviously with no fat in it, you need it rare yeah. or mm. medium at the most. But um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the you know the, the short ribs or, or the flank steak um, that doesn't just slowly, slowly with lots of fat in it, and you get you get much more flavour. Oh, making my I mouth water for an hour about steak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're also here to chat about you and. and your your life and your your career so far freddie so let's sort of take it back to the start a little bit and and i mean it seems a bit of a stupid question when did that racing bug sort of bite but you know talk to us about the early days and obviously your your father passed when you were around five years old that must have been really tough as well and and sort of how did you deal with that alongside all of the all the glitz and glamour of, of the racing life that he had uh well i mean it's, it's not a stupid question at all i mean you know, Dad died when I was almost six, so it's coming. It's coming up to his uh, his, his anniversary of his death. So be, uh, beginning of June, fifteenth June, I think it was. My birthday's on the twenty eighth. Um, I knew absolutely nothing about racing from from that from then on, or in, until I started when I was nineteen. Mm-hmm. I grew up on the back of a horse on farms in, in the countryside, country pursuits. Uh, and uh, yes, well, my mother was from from a racing background, horse racing. She she was horse mad. So I, I, I naturally went down that career path. And, uh, and then it was in 2006, towards the end of 2006, well, my, my horses were, were old and exhausted. And um, didn't, I didn't have a quarter of a million quid at least to replace them, which is what, what, what I would have needed. Wow. Um, so I had to. I, I came at a crossroads in my life, and the very next day, just by chance, I went to the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and someone offered, offered me a drive in a GT car. And I'd never, I'd only had my driving license for a couple of weeks, and so, and from, literally from one moment thinking, what am I going to do with my horse for my polo career? And then the next day, being shoved into a racing car, and my friend, um, who is who's a uh, polo ex racing driver turned polo player, he was. He, he said to me, Freddie, look, for polo, you need money. You've got no money. You're good enough at it, but you've got no money. You might as well try and go race. You've got no money there, but you've got a name to try and track money. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very sensible career advice. So that was the first time in a proper racing car, then, that, that yeah, good yeah, experience. Yeah, was. I think it was a, probably a GC4, I think, Maserati. Did you Ooh. did you know at that moment, did you think, oh, I've, I've, got the, I've got to crack on with this. This is what I want to do. Not so much then. I was, you know, I was humming and about it. And I thought, logically, the, the arguments that my friends presented that I wanted to, and I, I, I love driving things, you know, I grew up, you know, scrap, mucking around with motorbikes when I was a kid. And, so, and you know, racing, every time we went karting, we never did any proper racing yeah, karting, but, you know, I'd always loved driving things, um, particularly fast things. So, so that wasn't, yeah, it was attractive to me. But then when I first started doing some proper testing, that's when the bug really bit. Yeah. Um, and that was, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, compared to a Roca, I mean, even a Formula Ford in comparison to a top Ferrari on the road, you know, is is much, much quicker. Yeah, I, I was I was lucky yeah. enough to drive. I went down to Palmer Sports um, a couple of years ago and drove, I think it was a Formula 3000. Um, and that scared the living shit out of me. It was rapid. I mean, and, and just having the experience of seeing two wheels in front of you, um, you know, rather than the bonnet of a yeah, car, the yeah. whole thing is is so visceral. It's weird. And but so those ones, I, one of my first tests was in one of those. But those ones for for, for the customers, they, they're tuned down to about two fifty horsepower. The ones I I, I was driving was three fifty. Right. And the the the, the, the customer ones also have. I think they have more some sort of more padding throughout the car just, just to stop the rattling because it's very off-putting when you first get into a racing car everything's rattling yeah. around you right. but that getting into that and the, the tubs were large so they could fit overweight gentlemen drivers in them and so I was being thrown around in the cockpit my elbows were blue black and blue and the car was completely driving me 400 horsepower or 350 with an, with an extra 50 horsepower boost completely I'd spin off to spin but luckily it was an airfield but it was um but I put it. I did when I wasn't spinning. I think I put in some impressive lap times, and everyone was a bit surprised. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, I, I think the second test in a racing car. I think it's. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. I'm sure you won't mind me saying that in your early racing career, while you were quick, 
You did have the odd, the odd shunt, didn't you? I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, I've written off two. I've written off two cards. <laughs> Most people don't, will go through their whole career without doing that, without doing one. <laughs> I just couldn't get my head together in, in 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 the early days at all. I was I was quick, but I had no concept of fear. Um, <laughs> I wonder where I you got that from. Crashes early on, and you know. Yeah, 120 mile an hour impacts and not a scratch, not even a bump, not an ounce of pain. So I thought I was pretty invincible. Mm. Also, I didn't really understand, you know, the, sort of the cost of it all. Now, I, when I'm racing, I'm thinking about, you know, this crash. If I crash, it's going to a, it's humiliating. But b, it's going to cost a huge amount. Yeah. And uh, there is an ounce of fear that comes into play these days. But what I'm racing is a lot, lot faster. Yeah, yeah. So you started your career 2007 Formula Ford. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So how, how, take us through that year and, and how that was uh, integrating into a competitive championship and, and how did you get on? It was highly competitive, more more competitive than many most other championships in the world at that time. Most tracks, top 10, were covered by two or three tenths. It was it was extremely competitive. Now, in, in, in testing, when it was just Nick and I, when we had, had the test, I, so I was racing with JCR, um, Joe Tandy, um, you know, Nick's brother, Rest in peace, Joe. Um, they were they were the best the best team for me. They really were, and you know Nick's a hell of a hell of a driver and a hell of a guy. He's a little more champion now, and you know I, I wasn't that far off him. Certainly, in my I was I was inconsistent, but um, you know I get a few lap times in when I was pretty close to him. Considering he had fifteen or ten, twelve years experience racing, I was pleased with that. And I I think as a result of that, and people heard about that. When it came to the, to the race weekend, I'd have so much pressure on myself. My head was a complete mess. I just did not know how to handle this. Not then added by the fact hundreds of or, you know, uh, the photographers and the journalists all talking to me. All that pressure, and it all just went completely tits up to me in you know qualifying. Even just the, the official the free practice with everyone watching, I couldn't I couldn't perform. Is that, is that, how, that pressure from from the name and the you know to do well even in a free practice session if that if that's sort of having an effect on you how are you was there anyone there that you were chatting to in the teams or after sessions just to sort of try and help you along with that or were you very much sort of figuring figuring it out as you went I along figuring out it was there was no psychologist around towards the end of the season I did see uh, Don McPherson aka the mind bender oh right a few techniques but they weren't there they were in, insufficient what I've learned now. Um, well, the one it was it was lack of maturity. It was lack of maturity, it might probably ego problem as well. I would have thought. Um, but I did have brain chemical imbalances, which I've now worked out. I've been in the last eighteen months been working with a, a kinesio, well, a kinesiologist, nutritional therapist, who has identified um, the reasons for my well. Just for one example, my adrenaline glands have been overworking my whole life, so flooding my brain with adrenaline constantly. Oh. Like a deranged cocker spaniel my whole life. <laughs> you know, Excellent description. So now, now that's all been balanced out, and now with the, these years of years more experience I have, and the majority yeah. that's why I can, you know, touch wood, I haven't had a proper chance in years, and I can I can deliver under pressure. In last year's Le Mans race, I was actually going quicker and quicker and quicker throughout practice, throughout qualifying, throughout the race. I did my fastest lap in the race towards the end of the race and all that pressure with i don't know two hundred thousand spectators whatever mm. so it's it, it's very much a mental game obviously for racing you need the talent but if you if your head can't handle it there's no point you can have all the talent in the world if your head can't can't deliver if you can't deliver you know, your talent when needed yeah so when did you make that call then to say right okay racing might have to take a bit of a pause here and, and i'm gonna leave and sort of get things sorted that was 2009 so uh 2008 i didn't have much budget at the end of 2008 i missed german uh, manager i did one race in the adc masters in germany mm. from the masters then we started the full season with a decent testing budget the problem was still there and and i was crashing a lot and these cars were expensive they were, mm. they were more more carbon five and four and a four um and so yeah, I mean, it got to the point that there was one spectacular shunt. Well, it wasn't a spectacular shunt, but um, at Hockenheim, I got pushed off by my own teammate right in front of the pit wall with everyone watching. Um, I turned one and it wrecked the car. It wasn't a heavy impact, but it caught. I was sliding down the wall and there was a kink in the wall and as it caught, it just ripped the engine off. Oh. So it, I think I think we 
the chassis and the engine was done, but the gearbox was okay. But it was yeah. um, if, if that kink wasn't there, or even if it was the wall was 90 degrees and I just plowed into it, I would have been the car would have been fine. <laughs> but, but it was just that unfortunate kink, which just yeah, just the, the rip um, the engine yeah. off. That sounds really dramatic. He bless him, my manager, he really wanted it to work and he invested his own money into it to, to physical and mental analysis in the top gym in Germany. I found out quite a lot of things about myself. Not so much about nutrition, not what I found out in the last year. But I found out that I, I had mild ADHD and um, things like that. So that was really good. But I still couldn't get my head head, head together. So yeah. I packed it in, went to Argentina. So that was 2009. I think 2011, he invited me for a fun race in the, in the Chevrolet Cruise Cup. And, and I was, in my mind, what I was, an, an amateur then. I was no longer professional. So I just turned up and had some fun. And with no pressure on me, I didn't put the pressure on myself. I drove a lot, a lot better. I drove, yeah. I, drove I, deli- I delivered. Uh, so then I thought, right, if I can just tell, just persuade myself that I'm not a professional, it doesn't matter, uh, then I can drive better. That's one of my techniques now for remaining calm behind the wheel. <laughs> just acting like, yeah, I'm just doing this. It's just a Sunday drive. There's no, yeah, exactly. nothing to it. Yeah. The other guys, they're billies. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, Freddie, Freddie, wow, it's Freddie Hunt. No, it's not. No, no, just your average Joe. Wow. We tried to keep it quiet when I first started and took my my test, my license at Silverstone. My uncle, who was helping manage me, he he begged them and they all agreed not to reveal, you know, speak to the media at all and keep it as quiet as possible for as long as possible with a white helmet. Of course, that didn't happen. One and some dickhead um, reported straight away. It was a picture of me doing my license. You absolutely <laughs> What's it like um, dealing with your your dad's shadow? I mean, it, does, has it followed you around in that way? You know, is the media always there when you're at a racetrack? Is it is it a problem for you, or is it something you you enjoy? It's not any. I, don't, I certainly don't enjoy it. Um, it's not a problem anymore because I've, I've I've had to I've had to get used to it to make it work really you know, I've got to learn to accept it and you know it is it's very flattering it really is because it's, it's, it's a lot of love from from a lot of the journalists and the, and the fans yeah well they had real love for my father and and so you know I don't I don't dislike that part of it um but it's just, it's just the, the the it's the constant eye on you constantly yeah. people watching when they're not necessarily taking so much notice of the other drivers yeah yeah um well obviously the you know the the top ones the promising ones etc but it'd be it would be nice just to be able to race anonymously yeah yeah and, and i suppose judging you as well but there's there's um there's a couple of nice interviews i've seen while we were doing some research for this there's there's one from a few years ago um where you you met with nicky lauda and had a really nice chat with him and he was sort of regaling some stories about your father and, and the similarities between the two of you and it it must be touching to speak to those kinds of characters who were so fond of your dad absolutely yeah um i'm gonna try not to reminisce too much they'll make me emotional but oh. yeah um you know it's very touching especially nicky the first time i ever met him was at the the grid at hockenheim um when i was racing back in 2009 because we were sharing the the weekend with the dtm yeah racing was when i first went to this and and nicky and it was on the grid pre-raced for the dtm race and through the crowd of people cameras around before nicky had even got me he was still 10 meters short of me as we were walking towards each other he, he declared i loved your father was the first thing he ever said to me yeah oh. um, and yeah i burst into tears straight away <laughs> oh god, god don't blame you well it, i suppose was it was it quite comforting to, to meet someone like matthias then as well and and you sort of already even though you never met him you had that kind of connection there yeah, 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 a little bit. And you know, luckily, Matthias, he's, he's he's nothing like his father in terms. You know, when he's, with him, he's just so. Um, I don't know what's what I don't accuse um, Nicky of not being being so kind and sweet. <laughs> you wouldn't describe Nicky as sweet. No, no, I don't think so. No, no, he said he says what he thinks, doesn't he? Yeah, Matthias is just very, very peaceful. Very, very gentle, soft-spoken, and 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 just a really charming guy. Yeah, that's great. So, so in terms of your career, what what are the plans? You you've been through all sorts of different series. You've done MRF, you've done um, endurance racing, GT4s. What, what's the plan moving forward? I read somewhere about Le Mans. Is the, is this a goal to try and um, win or do something special at Le Mans? Absolutely. Yeah. When I came back to racing in 2014. 
I, I realised that you know going for Formula One is forget it. So what's the next best thing? And that was that's Le Mans, and actually now, and now since actually getting into Le Mans cars, the LMP is is, is made the desire even greater. Yeah. yeah. Have you uh, have you tried an LMP? Have you been out to LMP one level? Have you have you had a go in one of those? You know, I, I don't think I'll ever be ready for LMP one. Um, even LMP twos now are extremely quick. Right now, I I, I wouldn't be able to drive one side of an LMP two car. I mean, I could drive it, but I wouldn't be anywhere near competitive. LMP3, I would need more. I need a year or two in LMP3 with with a decent budget. You know, plenty of testing, plenty of racing before I'd go up to LMP2. Yeah. And I think I'm, at my age, I'm turning 33, 33 next month. It's just there's just not enough time to get the to get the experience to get up to LMP1. But that's fine. I mean, even race racing in Le Mans in, in LMP, LMP2, or maybe hopefully one day they'll have LMP3 in the race, um, or in a GT3, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, because the, the racing in most of the GTs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it'd be quite nice because that was the first car you sort of got into it in your racing career, wasn't it? I suppose that the uh, good with the GT three car. Um, they're, not, they're nothing like uh, uh, they're not real racing cars. Think, in my opinion, when you drive a car that's built from the ground up to race. Yeah. Uh, you feel the difference. It's it's it's. Um, I'm trying to think of an analogy. They're, they're deceiving because to to the you know to the common eye, it just looks like a bit of a beefed up you know car that you might see on the road. But as soon as you get in one, they are absolute beasts, and you know they're there to race around twenty. You know they're racing twenty four hours of Le Mans, and that is grueling. Uh, and straight on the car, the miles they do. I don't know what how many miles they do in yeah. twenty four hours, but I mean it wrecks the car. It, mm. it pretty much writes everything off. You know the chassis, the chassis needs re- the engine's knackered, the chassis needs rebuilding. That's why it's expensive. Yeah. I think there's not there's not much on the car that can you can use again after a 24 hour race. Well, no, exactly. Well, actually, we remember we chatted to um, a guy called uh, Ollie Webb on a, on another show of ours. Um, who, yeah, who, yeah, he's he's brilliant, and he raced in the uh, the 24 hours of Dubai a few years ago, uh, in I think it was a Mercedes Black Falcon car, and um, uh, and it completely uh, burst into flames uh, during uh, one of the I think it was qualifying or pra- oh, no, it was practice, um, and his teammate happened to be the prince of Saudi Arabia who had the team's car from the year before the 24 hours that had done the 24 hours in sitting in a museum in the same state that it had done when it finished that race last year had it shipped over that night and cleaned up brought up to scratch they raced it it qualified last they finished second in the same car from the from last year's 24 hours but the engine hadn't been rebuilt or anything well, he didn't go into that, but he said it, it was it was in the same state as it had been since the last since it still had like sand it was still on it, covered in dust. Yeah. Um, so they must have obviously they were they missed all the practice and qualifying that they had left, and they must have obviously cleaned it up. They must have added some things because I can't imagine any car will be fit to, to uh, race straight away. The new engine, a different engine on, or rebuilt the engine. I, I guess I'm not. I'm yeah. Not. Well, but even just to get the car over is is a miracle. But I suppose that's an awesome story. Yeah. It's yeah, it's brilliant. That's what money can do. Yeah, well, exactly. You need the Prince of Saudi Arabia on your team. Um, so it, in terms of this, talk about a bit about the 24 hours and endurance racing, I suppose. That's something you're, you're looking at and, and you've done. How do you switch your mind to, to racing? You know, there's, there's sprint racing and there's endurance racing. How do you even comprehend the difference? Well, actually, the, the, the endurance racing benefits, uh, it's, it's best, better for me than it is for sprint racing. I can right. be more, more relaxed, mm. into a nice, set into a nice rhythm. You're not. Yes, you're still trying to be pretty much as quick as possible, but just a, a few percent under, just to look after the car for more safety because it's an endurance race. Mm, yeah. The sprint race, you know, there's these twenty. The Formula Fours I started in was I think a twenty-minute race. It's just hell for leather, absolute carnage, do or die. <laughs> 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 it's not, not great for a, for a head like mine. No, it's not crashing <laughs> into people. <laughs> yeah. Here comes old shunty. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what about driving at night? How, how did you adapt to that? I haven't actually done many night stints. I did, I did when, I, when, I, when I did the Code 24 hour or Stradlet. But it is very difficult when you have, when you have the lights in, in your mirrors. It's very difficult judging where they are. And even when you pass a car um, and then you see another set of lights, well, you, say, well, is that, you don't know which one's which. Yeah, the one is that the car you just passed, or is this one flying up on you <laughs> in an LMP, whatever it's passed? So it's, it, it is tricky. Yeah, because some of the the biggest I haven't driven to track at night without without floodlighting yet. Some of the biggest crashes come from you know 
overtaking yeah. slower cars at night and it's just that is in itself is is just is crazy how some of the lmp1 cars can just swoop past you know two lmp2 cars plus three gts battling it out as well it's just oh it's it's a whole nother world it's uh but i suppose that's where the adrenaline comes from as well <laughs> just yeah. switching just exactly. switching I mean, you've got to get through the traffic if you're in it and if you're if you're too hesitant about it and sit behind too many mm. cars the cars for too long you'll just lose so much time you've yeah. got to have the balls go for it and, and hope you've judged it right <laughs> <laughs> just switching across to single seaters um you, you've probably driven a, a few types of different single seater cars in your time right back to some of your your dad's old uh cars uh through to some more modern uh day um single formula cars what, what's your your preference do you, do you love the old sort of hardcore driving experience of the old classic cars or do you prefer the sort of high downforce glued to the track um modern vehicle both for different reasons i like the high downforce um but i haven't driven a high downforce single seater only well, you know my father's but i wouldn't describe that as high downforce the lmp3 is the well, I have driven an old LMP2 once, you know, ten-year-old LMP2 once. That's the nice highest downforce. But I like I like the role of a steel chassis rather than a carbon fibre chassis. So Formula Ford, the old, the original Formula Fords, which you know, you know they race with it in the, in, the, in the clubs without the, which are steel steel chassis and no wings. Those those are wonderful. When you, when I kind of went from them into a into the Formula ADS Masters, this Delara carbon fiber chassis it was so rigid you had such little room for error or no when you did make an error you didn't have much time to realize what was going on before it's already gone and now it's yeah. gone wrong whereas the formula ford you can really you can really feel it underneath you so you can you, you it's become it for me as much more of an extension of my body rather than you know, you've got to be so careful with it with the with the um when, when you've got a very rigid chass- chassis and stiff suspension you know, you're either if you're just a little bit too much over the limit, you might not have time to catch it. Yeah. And have you have you driven a modern day Formula One car? No, no, no. I, I would love to if I could figure out how to have bloody controls work. But <laughs> <laughs> can we not get one of your sponsors to sort that out? Come on, Texco. Yeah, no. I think um, we'll take you now. COVID nineteen. I don't think Texco are going to be sorting out an awful lot. <laughs> sort themselves out um, it's an awful shame because they've been so great with, with me for the last few years so, I mean what, the, what they've done for me is is well they've, they've kept me on the track really without them I would have been sit, sitting at home doing you know unfruitfully searching for sponsors which I continue to do anyway but um, Texaco they, they've they've stuck with me for a few years now yeah. and um, I just hope hope they can, they don't get hit too hard by by this and we can continue our relationship it's a it's a tough side of the business isn't it i mean we we talk to a lot of young drivers who who are you know sitting there creating sponsorship proposals day in day out reaching out to brands which obviously at the moment with lockdown and you know covid19 is, is an absolute nightmare um but difficult at the best of times how, how do you go about seeking out new brands new sponsors to work with is it something that you're actively doing um, well, to be honest, I, I, I'm not great at it. I tried it for years on my own, but never really. I, I never got a damn penny, two and a half grand off of a mate's dad once. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's why my manager to, um, to do it. And he, again, it, it is re- it's really difficult. It, it really is. And now with, with this um, COVID 19 year, a lot of these big brands are going to have budget cuts. Mm. And. Um, yeah, sponsorship is going to be one of the probably one of the first things that gets slashed. So yeah. that's what happened in in two thousand eight, the recession. The, the motorsport world took a big hit because of the um, because there was less money around. Listen, in terms of Formula One, I'm I'm interested to get your thoughts on modern Formula One. In, under normal um, under normal circumstances, when we're not all stuck in our homes on lockdown, what, what's your take on Formula One? Do you watch it? Are you an avid watcher? Are you one of those people that tunes in for the start, watches a couple of laps, and then switches off till the end? What's your take on it? Well, firstly, I don't have a TV, so what? No, no, I'm, I'm just not one. I'm not a TV person. I've got a laptop, and that does does enough for me. <laughs> I don't like TVs really, so I don't watch it. I don't follow it avidly. I am interested in it, particularly the beginning of the season. I like to see right which teams are where, and then you can really typically get a rough idea of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Then this, but um, yeah, if you've got three or four teams which are really close in the first race, obviously I'm going to be a lot more interested that mm. season. But uh, I, I do enjoy watching it. Um, 
But I must confess, I well, whether it's the noise of the cars or Brundle's voice, I don't know, but I often fall asleep. <laughs> so I watched the first few laps and then I have to set my alarm for the last few laps because I, I just can't help just nodding off. <laughs> nothing nothing else makes me fall asleep so quickly watching Grand Prix for some reason. I don't I think you're alone. I don't think you're it's alone. Really weird. I, I'm blaming Grundle. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think anyone fell asleep when, uh, when, when, when Murray was... Uh, oh, <laughs> we'll clip that up and when we get Martin Brundle on the show, we'll, <laughs> we'll play that back. Uh, and uh, get his response. <laughs> Sorry, um, look, it can't be just the engines, who knows? <laughs> they don't make any sound um, these days. Um, yeah. Look, Freddie, do you fancy playing a little game with us? We do it with uh, with every uh, every guest we have. It's called Motor Mouths. Thank you, Timothy, for the music. You're very uh, well. Basically, it is the hardest quiz in motorsports uh, because no one really knows the answers and, and because my research of it is a bit hit and miss sometimes. Um, and basically, we, we we shape it around each of our guests. Um, it's normally either team radio or bits of interview, that kind of thing. And so I've got four clips to play you, um, four sort of iconic phrases from your father. <laughs> and uh, if you can uh, if you can tell me, uh, I'll play. we'll play you each of the clips and basically you need to tell me uh, what, what's going on and if you can tell me where in terms of what track it might be at and when if you can give me a year that's a point for all of them it's a really tough quiz um, and then there's a bonus question at the end and there is a leaderboard as well so right now at the top of the leaderboard with 12 and a half points is Brendan Hartley he had he did really well right at the bottom though so to beat to avoid coming last is Karen Chandok with three and a half points. So if you can beat Chandok. <laughs> oh, I like Chandok, by the way. He's a lovely guy. He's great. He just had a shocker. He had a shocker. Um, okay, so so we're going to play you this first clip now. So just think what's going on, uh, when and where. Are you ready? Here it comes. It's completely out of order. I mean, he really shouldn't be allowed to drive and drive free racing. He is uh, got a mental age of 10 in the first place and that was absolutely disgraceful I've played at Monaco I don't know what year oh do you want to have another listen yeah go on then here it comes he's completely out of order I mean he really shouldn't be allowed to drive and drive free racing he is uh, he's got a mental age of 10 in the first place and that was absolutely disgraceful for he is, you're right, he's slating a driver. He's slating a driver, but I don't know if it's not Carlos Patrese, because I know that, because Dad blamed Patrese for Peterson's crap there. Yeah, he that was... Dad would lay into him hard. Oh. Um, <laughs> like, Dad probably slated a lot of drivers. Yeah, I, that's I the trouble, yeah. I, I haven't, so all those years I've been commentating, I wasn't watching, I wasn't listening. <laughs> no, you were asleep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't have a TV, <laughs> so this is going to be tough. Was, yeah, or not, boy, exactly. Uh, what about, can you give me, what about, if, if you've got to claw a claw point back, can you give a, guess a year? Well, it's just been a random guess, I don't know, 89, no, nine, 1990, let's say. Okay, you know what, I'm going to give you half a point for saying slating a driver. Generous, um, very generous. slating a guy called Jean-Paul Jarrier, uh, who basically didn't get out of the way quick enough for being lapped. Uh, and Patrick Tombe lost the lead at the 1983 Austrian Grand Prix. Okay. But you're going to get half a point for that because you did say slating a driver straight away, and I will I, I will give you that half point. Um, Harry, I okay. think I think there's a good chance that we could have a new person at the bottom of the leaderboard after this. <laughs> How many questions are there? And how many points? Four. You've got so up for grabs. There are twelve points on the table up for grabs. You've got half a point so far. So all you need is a couple more points just to beat Karen. All right. Okay, so here is uh, so clip number two. Tell me, clips, uh, more iconic clips, please. <laughs> more iconic clips. What's going on? When and where? Clip number two. And these normally aspirated engine cars are a very different kettle of fish to drive, he says. And all I can say to that is bullshit. <laughs> I love that. That was on BBC Two at Monaco. Um, yeah. And it was he was driving the. Um, it was. It was just after the turbos were banned, and they'd gone back, gone back to normally aspirated cars. I'm trying to think who the driver was. There. <laughs> <laughs> it was again slating this driver. Yeah, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you that because that, that's pretty much everything bar the driver. It could have been Brundle. No, it no. wasn't Brundle. It was Rene Arnoux. <laughs> Did we get the year? Have we got Monaco? It was. It was. It was Monaco. Can you give me a year to get a full house? Oh, and Rene Arnoux. Uh, after the time, I'm guessing here. My my rough history of Formula One. Let's think. It's got to be. Oh come on! You've got this. Where were the turbos banned? Can you give me that clue? 
Uh, that might give it away. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the mid 80s, I'm going to go for a. I'm going to go for 89 again. Yeah, bravo. Three out of three. Oh, yes, yeah. Cool. You've redeemed redeem yourself there. You're, three, you're equal with Karun right now. So Brilliant. any more points oh. and you're not last. Uh, <laughs> Who, uh, Harry, who's next on the leaderboard after Karun? Uh, so next up is uh, the Formula E pit lane reporter, Nikki Shields. Okay. Oh, so, Nikki, that would be brilliant. <laughs> so if you can beat her, she's on five and a half. So if you can beat her... You'll be in uh, 16th position, but equally not last. So uh, <laughs> it's a long leaderboard. Okay, clip number three. Who is interviewing your dad here? What about and what team was your dad racing for at the time? Well, now, James, they've changed the regulations concerning the air boxes and the wings, and yet you're still extremely fast. How do you do it? Big balls. <laughs> that was actually really freaky because as, as, as we were playing that, um, no, you guys can't see this at the listening at home, but we've got a video up and, and Freddie mouths big balls at the same time. And it was actually uncanny. <laughs> I, I, I can describe the rest of the conversation if you want. And um, Sterling says, no, he's, he's buggering about. He's taking the piss. Yeah. And, and, and no, no, he's buggering about. And Dad said, I don't, told the UPI man that, but he thought he was taking the, talking <laughs> the piss. And so did we. <laughs> We know what. Then, then he answers the question seriously. But I can, I know my father when he was bullshitting. He absolutely bullshitted his way out of that question. He was <laughs> picking information out of thin air. It's hilarious. <laughs> Well, I think you, that's pretty much, yeah, you got Sir Sterling Moss, uh, you, you nailed the conversation. What team was he driving for at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah easy. Boy, three points right in the bag there. Straight up the leaderboard. The airbox. Um, so it must have been a third of the way through the season, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's all you needed for that one. That's giving you three points there. Um, wow, okay. So I think next up on the leaderboard, if you can beat, who we've got up next? Uh, if you can beat, you're nearing on seven points now. So Bobby Thompson, who's a British touring car driver, and Jack Aitken, who is the Williams Formula One reserve driver, are next up on your list if you can beat them. One more clip and then a bonus question to go. Let's play the final clip. Here it comes. James, how much does this victory mean to you? Nine points, $20,000 and a lot of happiness. <laughs> Amazing. So uh, what's happening there when and where? He had just won the British Grand Prix at Brands Hatch in Friday, 
And I, I mean, I didn't grow up with PlayStation. Never had a steering wheel or anything like that. I've, I've done a few times when I met mates afterwards. Yeah. Uh, on, on, the, on the Formula One game, but with a controller. So I was very much out of my depth. This is my disclaimer, you see. Yeah, yeah. Get the excuses <laughs> in early. Put <laughs> the information out there first. Uh, but I was actually, I mean, I, I, it was at Suzuka last Friday, uh, which I didn't, I didn't know the track. So I had to learn the track, learn the car. Uh, hang on. Oh, someone at the door. Oh. So uh, you were saying it happened? It was happening last Friday. Yeah, last Friday. Some really quick kids on there. I mean, I. Yeah. I did I get down to? Two oh three, and they were doing fifty nines. Wow. Yeah. So how are you playing? Was it? Is it? Is it a full rig or is it a controller? A, a full sim, yeah. Oh right, okay. Full full sim, but they got seat big screen. Yeah, yeah. Let's move around. Um, this world is blowing really up. Good feedback from the pedals and the wheels. Anyway, I qualified sixteenth, but then. Foolishly went into the back of someone in a high-speed corner. It was going to just go down to fifth gear. And you dab on the brakes down to fifth. He was treating it like a hairpin. And so I just went down <laughs> into the back of him. So I was a minute in the pits first or 30 seconds in the pits for the damage repair. Then I got a drive-through. So I <laughs> That's so reckless. So, so reckless. Out of 28 cars, still 21st. I wasn't too unhappy with that. My pace wasn't too bad. But this Friday is at Nürburgring, which I do know the track. So I know the car a bit better now. So I'm, I'm 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 aiming for top ten, but if that would be, well, if I can qualify top ten at least. Yeah. <laughs> did you see um, Did you see the shenanigans that went on the other day with um, Lando Norris and uh, and Pagano? Did you see this, Harry? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, Unbelievable. The IndyCar so, um, eSport. Yeah. yeah. So there was an IndyCar race and um, Pagano left the pit saying, um, uh, you know, almost jokingly, let's take out Lando. Um, he slowed down when Lando was approaching. Lando crashed into the back of him, took him out completely. And the fallout from it has been mad. Like he's yeah. in this is online stuff. So yeah, this is online. Yeah, a, yeah. Oh and uh, yeah. but but the fallout's been horrific. He's had um, awful um, tweets um, sent his way from all over the internet. Um, he's been widely criticised. That people have cl- um, are asking for sponsors to be taken away from him. I mean, it's really backfired on him. Um, but it's amazing yeah. how well, seriously well, people are taking it. Something so bloody petty as an online game. Who cares? Well, it's, it, well, if there was money involved on investing, and if people have lost money, then I can understand. But the from that, then, you know. um, another indie, I, be, I believe it was. Now I can't remember off the top of my head. Another indie car driver who said a word that he shouldn't have said, and he's lost nearly all his sponsors. Yeah. Um, I think he may have even lost his race seat um, with Chip Ganassi. Oh God! Um, so it's it's become so. So watch what you say, Freddie. Just yeah. just be careful. <laughs> it's it's. I think it's because you know this. It's it, it, right now. It's all motorsport people have is this 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 online world right now and because it's also being broadcast you know it's sky is showing you know formula people playing f1 2019 you know it, it's it's such, when anything gets put on that national scale suddenly you're under scrutiny something becomes a big deal yeah so it's 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 crazy what's happened but there's no need for those kind of horrible tweets to be sent but um so well that's that's the sort of the esport world we're going into but you also um we did say we wouldn't touch too much on it at the beginning of the show but you you sort of uh, put your hand in the fashion world slightly uh so talk us through that yeah well uh, um a guy i met when i raced in the mrf championship called lee kishaf who's become a very good friend of mine he came up with this with this idea and uh, and i agreed with it i'm not i'm not going to take credit that it was my my idea but um to create a a sustainable luxury fashion brand and the idea is um, well because my 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 main passion, my main love in life is 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 uh, the ecosystem, is wildlife, and um, my goal, my ultimate goal in life is is to make enough make enough money to buy some land to rewild it. Then uh, that would be my that's my retirement plan. Amazing to to, to rewild it. So racing's not going to pay for that. So when he came came to me with this idea, would you like to do this business with me? I so I said, you know, great. Um, so all the materials, everything is sustainably produced, you know, right down from the growing of the silk or whatever the material may be, um, all the way to, to, to distribution to manufacture as green as possible, minimal carbon footprint, if not zero, and maybe even offset, I'm sure, once we've got some revenue rolling, we'll start planting trees, etc. things mm. like that. Um, we are yet to, to launch. It's a shame because we're so nearly ready before this happened, and, mm. and had we not launched... You know, the online market's gone crazy. If only we could have just launched um, just before this happened, but we haven't. But we, we should be ready to launch 
well, soon, but when this, we don't know with this yeah. moment. But the brand is LK Hunt. We do have a uh, a holding web website, so you can get a feel for it. I believe um, uh, we haven't yet got our social media established yet, but we will do. I mean, we've only just got company registered and stuff. Yeah, but the the, the, the products are pretty much pretty much ready to go. Um, Brilliant. Just uh, the, the rest of the infrastructure is not quite there yet. Where did yeah. the uh, where's this passion for um, wildlife sustainability and so on? Where, where's that stem from? Uh, childhood, I suppose. Um, I've just always had a fascination for for, um, for 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 wildlife, for all animals, and you know, flora, um, fauna and flora. And when I see the destruction, the devastation which is happening, it. it rips me apart it really does it infuriates me how mankind can do what we're doing is just it's unspeakable it really is i suppose that's the, the one of the very few benefits of um of lockdown is that that suddenly the skies are clear um the air is clear um it's, it's amazing we, we were looking at some of the stars the other night and the north star is blinding i've never mm. seen the, the the sky so clear so i suppose you know small silver lining that that mm. the world has sort of straightened out a little bit in that regard a huge silver lining this is but it, it just demonstrates you know, how much damage we're doing just for just from our day day to day lives. So if we if we can reduce these these reduce our our travel just slightly, it you know, can make a massive impact. Massive. Impact. I really hope that and we come out of all this with you know a renewed sense of you know how things should be working because we everyone's been talking about ways we need to save the environment and that kind of thing. But it's uh, until now it's really all you know mainly talk and not not a lot of action. Yeah. And I think this has forced the action to come. There is a big shift going on. in consciousness in uh, amongst people and I think it will certainly in the next few years and certainly our lifetimes our, our, our generation big big things are going to happen for, for mankind yeah. and for, for the planet and, and I think this is one of the tipping points I believe this is what my sort of internal yeah. instinct is telling me and so it's, it's very interesting times it's, it's obviously tough times for many um but I, I think it's uh, it's it's a, it's a great. It, there will it will produce great opportunities, and I'm not talking financial opportunities. I'm talking for opportunities for for the for for the human race to develop mm. in a positive way. I hope that um, I really hope that you're right. I, I my concern is that the the uh, people very quickly fall back into old ways. And, you know, I, I just hope that after this, people remember it. And in six months time, we're not just all completely back to normal and, and doing exactly as we were before. Um, it'll be interesting to see. A lot of people will be. Of course they will be. Um, but this it will have opened up a lot of people's eyes as well. So... Mm. It's interesting times. Your, your passion for sort of sustainability and, and the ecosystem, uh, has, that, has that led to anything developing within motorsport obviously we've got things like formula e that are sort of changing the ways in which we race has that ever tickled your fancy well i mean i was involved with formula e at the beginning um a little bit uh the things i i know you know motorsport it's very it's, you know, it's a huge carbon footprint mm. and, and i feel you know very self you know, contradictory that i that i participate in this um, you know, I, I don't like it, but it, but it is. You know, it's my job. It's what I do, and I don't really have any other options. Yeah. Um, right now, well, that's what I'm. I'm trying to start up this business. Another business I'm working on as well, which is it's, it's a storage business, um, home storage. We've we just registered to the company actually, uh, uh, Sheddy Storage, and that's using. Uh, fully recycled materials built to home storage units. Oh, uh, Freddie, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We've got a final three questions that we ask to all of our guests. Um, so, Tim, do you want to kick off with the first one? Or do sure. I, I always yeah. forget which way we do it. Um, I'll go ahead. Um, what's got you excited at the moment? What's got me excited at the moment? Yes. You mean in recent times or generally? or it could be anything. doesn't have to be racing. <laughs> I'd say the current, current climate is what, what's what's what the future can hold yeah i'm excited for the future i am i think that's the the best answer we've had honestly yeah. um yep over to you harry so if if not doing what you're doing but obviously you're doing quite a few things but if, if racing hadn't ever come about is there anything else that you would be doing you know you think you could see 
yourself I'm, as your day job? If I, I would probably be in full-time conservation. I work yeah. and volunteered for a few different conservation groups. Um, I, I do work fairly closely with the David Shepherd Wildlife Foundation. I imagine I'd be doing that full-time um, in one form or another, whether in the UK, South America, Africa, or wherever it may be, but I, I would be doing conservation of some sort, I'm sure. Brilliant. And uh, final question for you. What are you scared of? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a question. Something I'm not really prepared to answer. Yeah, it, it's too deep and people think I'm nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we like nuts. Right. Do you know what? I'm not really that scared of it. I'm not that scared of it. I've got. A, I've got. I. I. I think. Um, I don't think I need to be afraid. Do you want to leave? Do you want to leave it there? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That, that, that's absolutely fine, Freddie Hunt. It has been an absolute pleasure to yep. chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on to uh, to our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and on Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile and interact with others and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast. We here at Motormouth are a small, independent team. Since starting this podcast just over a year ago, we're reaching over 15,000 of you across 30 countries around the world. And we want to bring the biggest names in motorsport to you. Find out about their lives and careers and have a chat about whatever is going on in the motorsport world. We are determined to carry on producing these episodes. However, they do come at a cost. From securing guests to equipment and editing software and expanding the podcast and app, That's why we've set up a Patreon page where you can help us to carry on doing what we do. There are three levels at which you can contribute, starting from £5 a month to £10 or £20. Each tier allows you slightly different levels of access. Depending on which one you choose, you can enjoy early access to podcast episodes, exclusive member benefits, merchandise, shoutouts, and your chance to feature on one of our shows. Any support you can give us is massively appreciated and will help us grow and continue to bring cool content to race fans all over the world. 